You're listening to the Racer to Racer podcast presented by Race 92. Race 92 is a vintage-inspired racing apparel brand specializing in celebrating vintage race culture and adapting to motorsports today. Check out Race92.com to see the many different shirts and other options that we offer. I'm your co-host, Aaron, our other co-host. You may have seen him walking out of a great club with a big old smile on his face. His name is Scott Bowie. Hey, Scott, how are you? Good, Aaron. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, before we kind of get into this, I do want to say make sure you like, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Um, follow us on op- Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere else podcasts are found. We're most likely there. Thanks, everyone, for the support so far. Um, and, yeah. So, yeah, it was um, two, two good um, races this past weekend in Detroit. Yeah, it really were. Um, man, the first one had a major surprise in it at the end and um and the second one was surprising to the same team probably because i don't think they've ever led that many laps and come away without victory but it was a rough weekend for team penske in a way but uh you know uh you know he was able to hold on run second on sunday and um which was a great save really because it looked like the pack was going to eat him up so all in all, uh, it was, you know, I mean, it was a great drive. It just, unfortunately, the the mechanical gremlins have got a hold of uh, Will, and they're eating him up right now. But, uh, man, how about Pato Award? Yeah, and kind of like we've been talking about all year, you know, it's, it's a changing of the guard. I think we can easily say that now. I mean, we had a first-time winner when Marcus Erickson – and then Pato getting his second win of the season and second win of his career. Yeah, and that was impressive. I mean, Pato's – I mean, it's impressive that Marcus won. Um, and I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but, man, Pato was impressive. That that was a drive. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. And, um, you know, and obviously Will on Saturday was very upset, um, and I think for understandable reasons. I, I think anyone in that situation would be upset. Um, you know, definitely overheating issues with the car and also overheating issues with the driver and the aero screen. Definitely going to have to figure something out there. Yeah, they're going to have to do some. Um, you know, of course, we're just average fans. We don't know anything, but you just listen to people talk. And uh, some of these drivers are really having a hard time with that aero screen and heat. Um, I don't know. I, I have no idea if, if the openings are mandatory or what they're allowed to do to open the the vents or not open the vents. Um, So I don't want to speak on that because I don't have a good reference base, but if they're not making all teams run those vents, they need to do something because it's one of these times something bad is going to happen in terms of a driver. uh, Bourdais already said, Hey, I slowed down. I think it was, I forget which race he said, St. Pete or one of them. Uh, I slowed down because it, he got to me and I just couldn't even think clearly. Yeah. And, you know, I know like VK said it didn't bother him at all. So, it, you know, it's obviously some of the younger drivers may be able to kind of withstand that more. But, you know, some of the older guys and Bourdais would be one of those. Um, you know, it's definitely going to affect them more. Yeah, I agree. I, I just don't know. I don't know enough about to have an intelligent conversation on it, but uh, I, on the surface, there needs to be 
something done, something mandated. Um, and obviously, they, they some of these teams are having electronics problems. It appears like as every race, somebody, whether it's the start of the race or during the race, they're having problems with the car not wanting to start, it dying, then it won't restart. And, um, you know, that's something that, you know, it used to be you had a lot of electronic problems with Indy mm-hmm. cars. And then it seems like for a very long time, that hasn't been an issue. Uh, but these gremlins are kind of creeping back in. Um, maybe they're going to have to start mounting some of these items in a different part of the car or get them mounted where they can get air. Again, I'm not quite sure if you're allowed to mount these items in different places. And te- certain, some teams are and some teams aren't. Um, but again, that's something that's going to have to be addressed because it's it's becoming a problem. You know, and, and you kind of saw this even last year. Rossi, I think, had this problem um, a couple of times last year with his Honda. So it's not manufacturer-specific, but there is some sort of issue somewhere. Right, absolutely. And then obviously with Felix Rosenquist, his throttle stuck, um, which is a very, very scary incident for sure. Yeah, I uh, that as a driver would have to be terrifying. Oh, man. Uh, and I, I've watched the replay a bunch of times. It, it's a little fuzzy to me right now, but he goes in the corner and I don't know if he lifts and he's starting to roll back in and it just takes off or exactly how that transpired. But I, you know, I will say this, those cars are safe because if that's 10 years ago, Oh, it would have been a whole different deal. It's, it's probably, uh, uh, some really damaged feet at minimum. Yeah. Think about, you know, back in the 90s when, when the driver's feet yeah. were, I mean, you're talking probably possibly, I mean, losing losing limbs there. Yeah. So it was, uh, it's for him to be able to get that car shaken, go to the hospital for observation, but to my knowledge, there hasn't really come back with anything yeah. uh, severe. I'm sure he's very, very sore. Yeah. Um, but that's the best you can hope for in a situation like that. Oh, absolutely. And then you, and you actually sent me the news today about BK having a uh, bicycle crash. I don't know if it's today or yesterday um, where you, unfortunately we see this kind of a lot with racers where they're training on bikes and something happens and the car and a bike come together somehow. I know it's happened several times. The only one I'm really thinking of is Nikki Hayden. Obviously, um, right. he lost his life. And, you know, you, you hear a lot of stories about it. It seems like most of the time when people get on wrecks and bikes, it's with cars. Yeah. And uh, we have no idea what happened there. I don't want to speculate. Right. Uh, they say it's a clavicle injury, which could mean a lot of things. Uh, hopefully, it doesn't keep him out of the car. This weekend, but it may. Uh, if it does, uh, wish him a speedy recovery because he is a he too is a shining light. I mean, he oh, and Alex and and I know I'm going to leave drivers out, but uh, these guys are all budding superstars, and you hate to see someone get injured, especially away from the racetrack and, and to where you know it hampers them a little bit. Right, kind of reminds me of like I remember how oh, like 15 or maybe even 20 years ago, Frank Keaty got hurt on a. On one of the scooters at the track. Right. For the race. So stuff like that. 
Yeah. I mean, that's going to happen every once in a while. You know, Denny Hamlin, one time, he and his guys were chasing each other around the trailer, and he grabbed a hold of something. He cut his hand really bad. Uh, some of the some of the material was flaking off the trailer and it, you know, like Chrome or that, I, I'm not sure if it's Chrome, but you know, Chrome is really sharp when it comes loose and it really, it really can cut you bad. And he got damaged. You know, you see that you see guys get hurt like that. Sometimes they're in horseplay, but you hate to see a guy get hurt training, you know? Oh yeah. No, for sure. Well, um, our interview today is, um, former IndyCar driver, Robbie Groff. Definitely was a good interview. That was, you know, and, and Robbie's not a guy I I knew a lot about. Um, come to find out, we kind of inadvertently kind of ran in some of the same circles. Um, his brother raced midgets. My brother raced midgets at the same time. They they uh, had a crash together one time at Kokomo that Robbie remembered. Um, he didn't remember my brother's name, and nor do I blame him for that. You know, just another guy from Indiana. But uh, he was talking about what a rough trip that was, but. You know, a lot of these guys, uh, Robbie, again, is another guy out of Southern California. And, and the theme with a lot of these guys is they, they don't just stick to kind of one thing. They, they with the diversity of the area, they can, they're just open to a lot of different types of racing that, you know, the Midwest may not be always open to. So it was a very interesting conversation. Uh, good guy. Uh, very honest. Very open. Yeah. Um. And I, I was really, uh, I really enjoyed it. He, he was, it was a great talk. Yep. And he talks about, you know, racing a Baja, like you said, you know, he's done different types of racing and that's something that, you know, I, I definitely admire someone who's willing to, you know, try different types of racing. So I think without any further ado, we'll jump right into the interview. Our guest today raced in the 1997 Indy 500 and had a top 10 finish. He raced in the 24 hours of Daytona and in the Baja 1000, we are joined by Robbie Groff. Robbie, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? I'm doing well. It's very good to be here. Yeah, thank you so much, Robbie. We appreciate you taking your time out. Yeah, it's it's been great, really. Just um, you know, we're like I kind of told you um, when I sent you the email. We're kind of trying to interview a, a wide variety of people. This is kind of a good thing for you guys. I'm sure you're having a lot of fun with it. Yeah, we started yeah. it. Um, where did we start this, Scott? It's kind of about a, about a month, right? Yeah, so we did a Chili Bowl um, race night preview, and um, that was, that cool. was, we like had, January. That was yeah. January, so we had a really good time in that. So uh, we decided we wanted to do something, and, and then we I couldn't do anything until April. So we started in April, and this is what our probably ninth or 10th or 11th, something like that. I don't know. Yeah, we've done about eight or nine guys already. But yeah, it's it's been a blast, and people have been a lot more accommodating than I ever thought they would be. So it seems like a lot of people, you know, like yourself say like, Oh, I don't really talk about racing much. So I love, you know, people wanting to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, the phone doesn't ring every day. So, uh, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Let's it's something that I, um, have to go back and visit and share and kind of bring it just right. Off. I, you know, talk about it, and then I put it back in the closet, and you know, until the till next next person asks. I mean, I, I, uh, you know, I, I watch the races, I watch Formula One, I watch any cars. Haven't been as regularly as uh, I was years ago, but um, you know, I got my finger on the pulse um, for the most part. I may let you down on new stuff, but um, oh, that's all right. It's I'll let you. I'll let you down new stuff too. 
<laughs> but yeah, yeah. this will most likely be well this will be released after the race so um we'll know we'll know who who won the race by then <laughs> oh, okay yeah all right you are uh, like a lot of people started racing really young you were what uh seven running did you start at seven running quarter midgets uh, just looking over your bio and um where does the racing come from in your family is it something that because i mean uh obviously your brother raced uh, uh some as well and uh is that is this a family like your dad was into it or yeah good question my dad was not into uh was not a race car driver he was into uh fast cars he grew up in san fernando valley here with the fastest 50 Chef, 57 Chevy in town. He used to amateur drag race. He was uh, very successful at that, but then got married and had kids. So that was that was the end of that. Um, and I think maybe where he got it in his in his DNA is um, my his dad, my grandfather, was a uh, Pennsylvania Pennsylvania farm boy and just got into mechanics and how engines work and he was a he was a um a field engineer at allison aircraft during world war ii um so and then he ended up starting um a an equipment rental business which uh sun belt rentals which you probably oh wow oh wow they bought that type of rentals they they bought um his business but that was after the fact but so that's kind of where it comes from and uh even my um if you if you want to include it my father on my my mom's father was one of the first uh commercial pilots for twa and he flew for like uh like 30 years and so you know that's probably where it comes from and my dad looked at it like what can i do with my young family that we can do together and it's like our little league and let me tell you it was like little league times 10 like because it was just like full time for eight years and all around the country and or at least you know we go we go a far away race once a year for the the grand nationals which uh i've been to the midwest for um ohio michigan so um it was just the greatest uh experience and all the traveling and i remember you know like traveling with families across country to get to the right. race like their motorhome breaks down and you're you know you're stuck with them on the side of the road it's amazing by the way you know i'm a child of the 70s it's amazing how reliable gear is now compared to like like, like i think we take that for granted like i was sitting on the side of the road a lot you know when i, when I was a lot younger but um it, i digress but anyway yeah so that's how we got started and my brother and i got started at the same time Eventually, my sister joined in on the quarter midget thing, and she was actually my brother's age, pretty much, and she was as good as he was, if not better. So that was, uh, and she she uh, signed off and got married and had kids. Yeah, that's common. Uh, a lot of people don't realize this if you don't follow racing. Uh, a lot of girls in quarter midgets are really, really competitive. Yeah. And they, but, you know, of course, quarter midgets, I think, was 14, 15 is when you, they kind of they kind of graduate you out of quarter midgets, I believe. Right. And about that time, the 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 women just kind of they kind of decide that's what they that's all the farther they want to go. Yeah. But right. people don't realize, man, 
and and quarter midget kids, there are, have always been a lot of tough girls. Oh yeah, I I really think that the uh, they have a they have a um, special sh- sort of smoothness and concentration and maturity that that the boys don't quite have. Um, I, I I think it was a, it's a natural for quarter midgets and. It's a shame that we, you know, we haven't seen more, uh, you know, more professional women, uh, female drivers over the years. I mean, Danica is the one that comes to mind. Right. I raced against one in, uh, I raced against Kathy Mueller in Indy Lights. She, okay. was uh, she wasn't around long, but um, she was, she was pretty tough. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's definitely some, um, and I'm going to talk about one of Scott's favorite people here in a second, but there, there, there are several, um, women that are really kind of on the come up as far as you know they could be really that you know the next i really don't want to say the next danica but the next big thing obviously Haley deegan um has a lot of a lot of talent and this is this is um scott's one of his favorite um hmm. female race car drivers <laughs> sarcasm but um so obviously Haley deegan um the oh tony how do you say her last name Pretty Bredinger. Bredinger. Yeah, yeah she she's got a sister. Started, too. She probably started quarter midgets because she does a lot of like, she did Silver Crown, right, Scott? Yeah, so she runs a lot of Silver Crown. She's run a lot of midgets. She, uh, right up until recently when Jessica Bean uh, won, uh, Bredinger was the all time winningest female in, in USAC competition. Oh. Up until Where just recently. And then there was that girl that, um, Oh, I don't know her name. She's blonde. She raced the Toyota for the Toyota team in, in midgets. You probably know who I'm talking about, Scott. Oh, there's been a few of them. I mean, there's Kaylee uh, Bryson. There is um, Holly uh, Holland. Uh, her last yeah. name Holland. Holly Holland. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah. And then, um, well, then Dale, Dale Jr.'s, like, cousin or something races? Uh, his, uh, nie- uh, his niece. Niece. So she ran, she ran midgets for Keith Coons, and then uh, she got. Oh, there he is. Sorry about that. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. I, I've had my issues too. <laughs> you know, there's technical issues. Uh, yeah. Just... So. Sorry. Go ahead. Oh no. Uh, so yeah. So Dale Earnhardt's uh, niece uh, ran for Keith Coons um, for a couple years. Uh, she. She took a couple pretty hard crashes, um, and it seemed like I, I, and I don't think she stepped away necessarily, but it did. I don't know, you know, maybe behind the scenes, the family didn't really run running midgets anymore or anything like that. So, and, and I'm talking out of school here, so don't take what I'm saying as gospel. But uh, so she hasn't been running midgets. She dates uh, a, a kid named Jason McDougal who runs midgets, but. Oh. Uh, but she is currently not racing. But I'd like to see her race again. She had some talent. Uh, she just unfortunately took a couple really hard crashes. And we know how violent those uh, midget flips can be. Oh, yeah. And, uh, my my brother used to race midgets, and we we did the we USAC um, series in '83, uh, which is a whole other story. But uh, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah just, my brother raced against your brother. They actually got upside down together at Kokomo. Get out of here. Oh, okay, I remember that night. Oh, my God. Yeah. Okay. 
Wow, that was just a um, just a debacle of a season for us, man. That was for sure. We like like we got not, like mid August. We're like <laughs> go back to California, and uh, we got our cause written together and finished up strong. But I, geez, wow, that's that's amazing. Oh my god, that's yeah. all world. So okay, so you know what I'm talking about. But so let, I just wanted to mention something about. Uh, Champ car, dirt champ cars that I mean, you mentioned them earlier. It was it used to it was so cool, like in the seventies and even a little bit in the eighties, how the champ car drivers would 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 uh, get on the miles in the in the uh, the champ cars. Those those were really cool days. The only person, the only time I was in person for that was uh, Foyt did the uh, the Hoosier hundred in um, yep. September eighty two. Yep, I was there. Yeah, yep. yeah. So that was pretty cool. Remember him buckling in and yeah. Yeah. Jimmy Dolrose's car. That okay. Orange and white. Yeah. Okay. All right. That uh yeah, no, your brother ran that what is it, Edmonds. He had like a four coil Edmonds or something, I think, right? Yeah, we went back there and we started with the Cosworth, which was a little experimental and was like overheating and we're like, you know, driving going to New York and like all these places for the USAC tour and just, you know, like we were just doing terribly. And uh, I, I don't know, he may have been, had a Volkswagen the night where in Kokomo, because we were just like, this, we have to like change up here. And uh, yeah, it was just just a nightmare of a season for us, man. And that was, that was like pretty much the, probably the final, that may have been the final nail in the coffin. And I have to tell you, the, uh, you want to know how our season started out? We started out in, what's that place? Hinsdale by Chicago? Hinsdale, yeah, it's gone now. Okay, yeah, because it was like Santa Fe Park neighborhood, wasn't it? Oh yeah, remember correctly? Yeah, so like we open up our our <laughs> our race car trailer, we get to the track. This is like mid May '83. Uh, open up the trailer, and like all the all the shelves like fell down, <laughs> and everything like it's just like like someone was like went through an earthquake, <laughs> right? And and like it it was a Poorly, poorly made shelves and whatever all over the place. So we had to like, like, like get everything out and organize, reorganize. And I don't know if you remember, then like the rains came, bam, man. They're just like, oh, race over, you know, <laughs> just like, just total, all this rain. So, so we went back. I think the final nail in the coffin actually was now we went back to Hinsdale. I think it was late July and so my dad was my dad and my brother like engineered the the midget together and my dad had a propensity for like doing little tweaks always he couldn't stop himself from doing little tweaks and this was a time where he did a little tweak and he didn't tell anybody <laughs> even tell my brother and my brother just i think he was like front row to like to the back man and we were, <laughs> i was just like Let's just like stop the hemorrhaging. Let's like uh, just get out of here. <laughs> who did you guys? Uh, who did hey. you guys shop, shop with back here? Working out. <laughs> who did you guys shop with back in the Midwest? Uh, that year we, God, I'm okay. Um, it, I it's escaping me, but I want to say we self shopped. Um. We, I think we may have had it in our garage. Uh, not, we were like right between 465 and IRP. Uh, yep. 
where the lakes are there, the, that development, that's where we lived that summer. And uh, when I, but uh, when I raised... By Eagle Creek? Let me see. I was yeah. here at Seaway Bob's in yeah. Brownsville, Brownsburg. Brownsburg, yep. Brownsburg, uh, and um, yeah, we were there for like one, one year later on when we had our Super V in 1988. So yeah, well, yeah. Indiana. Yeah, I didn't know... You know, at the time, Trip was still back here, and Lonnie Carruthers was back here, and I didn't know if maybe you worked with, like, Potters or, you know, because I, I thought you may have known Potters from the quarter midget days or something. But. Um, a little bit. Like, you'd, we'd only see them, like, once a year at the Grand Nationals, yeah, because they were from Columbus, right? Oh, they were right here in Indianapolis. Yeah, yeah. And we saw them at Columbus. We raced against them at Columbus and met them there. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so we we speak some dirt. So you guys you guys read the dirt tracks a lot? I do. I, I I had a parts business for years and I had midgets for years. My nephew still has a midget and um so I don't go to the track near as much as I used to, but uh no, I love it. And I love pavement racing too. I I love it all, but so Scott kind of grew up more on the I guess the competition side with his family, always kind of being involved with racing and i kind of grew up more on just like the fan side um my dad is a huge and, and scott will attest to this huge indy 500 fan big um indy 500 collector um collects indy 500 autographs um and as you see behind me i collect as well um so you know it, for me it was just big kind of fan thing and you know this podcast um it's kind of helped me kind of get more involved and kind of you know hear, hear some cool stories that the normal fan wouldn't be able to hear that's that's a great idea. I think it's I think it's uh, it's a worthy thing to do a, a, a deeper dive on you know on some of these all these drivers have some great stories. You just got to drill down a little bit and not too far below the surface. You'll find some find some black gold. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, so you ran you ran the quarter midgets, yes. and then. You made a progression up into, I, I'm not sure, I, I looked over your bio, but I, I didn't memorize it, so I apologize. But, um, so what'd you move on to next? So, like you said, you know, in quarter midgets, they retire you at 14, 15 years old. I think the rule was 16, but like by the, you know, I was five, almost 5'11 five when I was 15 okay. years old. So I'm like, okay, so I guess I figured, you know, the Tulsa Grand Nationals was going to be my last race, which it was. And I, I won the uh, the Grand National there in, in one of the classes. Oh, wow. And so, you know, this is August 1981. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess I guess that's it. Um, I didn't really have any uh, aspirations, to be honest with you, to keep racing. And at the time, my brother just started getting into road racing go-karts. So I, we went out to um, a road race circuit one day with his go-kart. And this is like the end of 81. And then I'm like, this is it. This is what I want to do. <laughs> so I, you know, I was probably racing go-karts about probably like six months after that. And, and I raced those for a couple years. I did... I started off on like a like an eighth of a mile dirt oval um, at a place out here called Indian Dunes, which was a legendary Southern California all off road like park, which was like motocross and 
um, had this mile, I mean, not this mile, but it had this oval for like TQs and go-karts. But I, I mean, the first probably year and a half I focused on that dirt because I'm fit. I'm thinking I'm going, I'm going dirt racing, um, in, uh, as my brother did, but then he, like in 84, he, um, did the first season of Formula Russell, which was a former end of being for a Mazda. And, and I, you know, I don't know what, it, what, it, what it, I, I'm sure it's something else now, but anyway, uh, so he got into that and then so like, okay, this is the direction. I think we're going to go in this direction because we want to go, we want to race any cars. Uh, we'd love to race Formula One, but that's, you know, that's kind of a dream. And um, so we're like, okay, we want to, we want to get to any cars. How do we, how do we get there? And that was the, that was the direction we started to go. And then, um, so I started and I ended up my go-kart career doing um, road racing. I went to IKF National. So I'm like, okay, I graduated. So um, so then I uh, got into Formula Fords uh, the next year. So when you started racing, so would you say your ultimate goal, like when you were a kid, was to race in Formula One or was it like the Indy 500? It was Formula One and it was something I chased until probably um, until I was about 25. I was like flirting around doing the British Formula 3000 series. I tested a um, British Formula 3 car in 1988 at Brands Hatch, Silverstone, and geez, I can't remember the other place, but um, Donington. No, not Donington. But anyway, um, so I was wanting to go there and it just never you know just never lined up which is uh just you know f-a-t-e and you know i stayed here and you know tried to win as many races as i could and get to get to any cars yeah um and i think it's always so amazing uh when you look at the resumes of guys who come out of california you see where they run everything, uh, where it's Robbie Gordon or Jimmy Johnson or PJ Jones or Paige Jones, um, you know, carts, uh, you know, midgets, pavement dirt, um, and the off-road, because I saw where you ran some off-road later on and road racing. It, it's it's always, uh, and that seems very Californian for some reason. It, it's, uh, you don't always see that. Maybe the, Maybe the East Coast a little bit, but you don't really see that in any other part of the country. And I guess probably because there is a desert in Indiana, maybe too. But I think that's the that's the main driver. I'm like swearing that in my head as you're saying it, and I'm like, yeah, I have, it must have to do with the territory. You're right next next door to unlimited whatever you want to do in a race car down in Baja, which is I'd love to talk more about Baja because arguably it was the most fun I've ever had in a race car. It was, it was the ultimate road course. Uh, it was yeah. just so much fun, but we can, uh, we can get, go there later. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely. Actually, I, I just went to a party Ollie's <coughs> auction here at Meekum and where they, uh, you know, auctioned off big Ollie and, uh, you know, on, on so much of his stuff and, you know, so much of the off-road stuff. Um, and you know, it, that stuff means a lot to a group of people, you know, that truck went for big money and like the hand-drawn maps he had and that stuff, you know, people really oh, wow, cool. that stuff. uh, his trophy from the Baja, uh, you know, somebody bought that. 
That is that is probably the most legendary race vehicle from from that type of racing, other than the original the Myers Manx. Uh, other than that, that's like the that's the that's the um, you know the the um, whatever they I can't even think of it right now. The um, whatever Golden Chow, the Golden, you uh, know, right? Yeah, it's yeah, very cool. So. How did you? So you went over and you did all the 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 Formula One road, and you just you figured out one day, hey, this isn't for me. So, what what was your road back to Indy? I don't think I ever left it because it was the was the it was the real path I was on. Because uh, I just. You know, I just got I got through Formula Fours, and then like the natural progression was, well, I'm not going to Europe, so I'm going to do Super V, which is like Formula Three, and so like it eventually it it also kind of gets hard to leave because you kind of build up this momentum here, but it's mainly that it's just harder, it's just harder to make something happen over there, uh, which was really kind of the bottom, you know uh the bottom line and i can't think of many and and, and it's hard too and i can't think of many americans that have gone over there it's i gotta tell you um all i have to compare it to is when i tested that f3 car and and i you know i've just been i just got out of a super v which by the way was ground effects this was flat bottom okay well you got that but it was like smaller tires and it was like less wing and it was just like less downforce the the f3 car and i gotta tell you it was a challenge to drive it was it was a it was a hard car to drive and um i and then you got like the wet um you know rains all the time being from california not so cool um and by the way in hindsight uh, i wish i would have spent more time on like when i wasn't racing i would have gone to a skid pad and i would have just just you know, just put in a, instead of a test day on the road course, just get on the skid pad for a day, you know, and just work on your work on your rain skills. But that's that's another story. But but yeah, lots of rain and just a different different country and a lot of people, you know, a lot of tried and a lot of failed, you know, for sure. So when when did the Indy Five Hundred um, really? When did that? So you raced obviously in '97. When did that really come into hindsight? Like you were going to race Indy. Like when did you realize like this is actually going to happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so okay, so I did um, in 1994. I raced two uh, kart races with Bettenhouse, and I was right. Stephen Hansen's teammate. Um, second race at Portland, I ran pretty well. Um, I just finished out of the points, but I ran pretty strong. Um, I almost rear-ended rear Nigel Mansell uh, on a restart. That would have been <laughs> horrifying. I was like, drink bottle. I went towards my on a yellow, and I'm like reaching down, and I look up, man, and here's like Nigel's gearbox right in front of me, and I just, <laughs> I just got out, just flicked it out of the way at the last second. But anyway, so that was Portland 94. So anyway, um, I was not able to get a ride. I was try I tried for cart in 95, couldn't get anything together. 96, we started the Indy Racing League. Now it's looking like someone like me who's 
Lost a little inertia. hadn't hadn't been in, uh, racing full time since '93. Okay, okay, this is a this is probably a more realistic way of me getting back in any car. Otherwise, I'm probably not racing any car. Um, so um, I got through '96. I thought I, was, I had a close call putting a deal together with Jeez uh, Pagan um, in '96. Uh, my brother raced for a walker that year, um, and uh, let me see, couldn't get a ride the rest of the year, got into 97, started looking like, yeah, maybe if I can put something together, I can maybe do something. And then, um, I, man, if I can remember the details, somehow I got in touch with Dennis McCormick. Uh, I, I probably heard that there was something available there, I went, so I talked to him see what we could put together. I was able to scrape up just enough money to, to give to him to do the 500. I had to bring some money. He was able to, he had a little bit and, and I, but I had to bring. And um, we just had a, uh, I gotta tell you, it was, it was a really great month. Everything, you know, I didn't win, but like everything just kind of worked out really smoothly and it was, you know, even racing on the third day, because remember, we had Sunday, we got rained out. Monday, we got rained out. Tuesday, we raced. There's hardly, you know, so I'm coming into the stand. I'm coming into the track. There's no one in the grandstands. That was right. not a heartbeat, you know, just, it was just, I felt like, a, like race day, one by the time we went to race, I felt like a test session. And I'm just like dicing with people all day. And I got to, I really raced with a lot of people that day. And it was a lot of fun. I mean, like, like some of the best racing I've ever done in my whole career was done in that race. Just like, it's just, we had a good car. We were like, probably like about the fifth fastest car at the end of the race. I mean, we were running pretty strong, um, uh, but everything went really smooth. I even had, um, uh, at the time I was in a, in a, uh, a racing band and racing, a racing rock and roll band. And we, um, we, uh, um, Indianapolis Motor Speedway put out an album that month and we had a song on there and it like it dropped mm. that month and we we did a couple gigs uh in town uh in Broad Ripple. Oh my god, it's like it does oh, yeah. for some of these places. So uh yeah, it was just um it was just a perfect month for me. It's perfect as it could be for not you know, not finishing first through eight. Yeah, I was looking up YouTube of some videos of you, and some of those band videos came up. <laughs> <laughs> nice. You're doing your research. Yeah, but no, no, I mean, um, no, I thought the songs I listened to, I thought they were great, so, and I'm not just saying that. <laughs> it's very nice. Thank you. So, yeah. Uh so you ran, so you run the one five hundred. You ran how many Indy car races? Twenty. Uh, you ran roughly twenty Indy car races. No, I did. Uh, I had nine starts. Um, Only nine. Okay. I did the race. So in ninety seven, you know, we we finished ninth, got a pretty good payday. So we were able to roll that into the next race, and then we were able to roll out the next race and the next race. We just went race race every before every race. I sat down with Dennis McCormick. And I signed a new contract every race. I was race to race. And there was even a time where I thought, you know, I may have a chance at Rookie of the Year. Um, and if we had a good race in Charlotte, and we did not have a good race in Charlotte. And uh, I had a pretty strong finish at a 10th at New Hampshire. 
Um, the next race after that, I remember Tony Stewart and my mares for a long time. That was pretty cool. Um, and then uh, I did Vegas, and then the season ended, and, and then Raul Boisel replaced me in McCormick, and I didn't have a ride. And the last minute, like maybe 48 hours before the race, maybe 70, probably 72 hours before the first race of the year in 1998 at Disney World, I get a call from the, the, the IRL brass. We need you in a car. Uh, can you get down to Orlando? And I was in Los Angeles and I said, sure. And, uh, you know, I got there and, uh, you know, I wasn't in the best shape. And, um, but we, um, I got in the car, I did a few laps, um, but then everything else got rained out. And then the start of the race, I don't know what happened. I did everything I normally would do before a warm up as far as getting my brakes and my tires warmed up. It was a, you know, January day. It was a little cold, but I thought I did everything I needed to do. I got on the gas and things swapped ends, like, in a straight line. And I, like, I don't know what happened. And um, I don't think I remember taking one out, but, uh, I, you know, national television, it was just really, it was like, it was the, the low point. And it was essentially, that was my retirement speech uh, when I got on a that day um one and then i and then at phoenix uh the same team blueprint they put me in the car um and i could not qualify at phoenix I, and trust me i know phoenix pretty well um and you know what that was it that was the last time i was in an indy car uh you know what later that year um you probably know billy Rowe. Mm -hmm. I ran into Billy Rowe later that year at the Vegas race, and we got to talking. We got to talking about the that car, about the car that I um, uh, crashed at the start at Orlando, and I didn't, uh, didn't qualify at Phoenix. So the next the next attempt was at Indy. Bourbonnet got in the car, and Bourbonnet is a good driver, and he couldn't qualify at Indy. And next race was Texas, and it was Billy Rowe. Guess what happened to Billy Rowe? As soon as he got up to speed for the start, he spun. So we got to talking, and he told me something to the effect that the way they set up the rear end was just a was a was was meant to spin on on acceleration. Um, so uh, I don't know. I I just uh, I don't know if that's a fact. I just know it's true. <laughs> well, why? So why why do you think they would do that? I just think that's just the way they set that up, and they didn't know better. Right. They, they weren't, uh, even though they won the the first race with those cars with Guthrie, um, they just kind of went downhill after that. Uh, and I think I think they were, I think they were done after. I think Billy Rowe was done after that with them, and I think they were done. But um, anyway, you know, yeah, you're right. Why would they do that? Well, they shouldn't. But. Um, I don't know. So you you went from racing mostly like road courses. Obviously, you wanted to race in Formula One, and then you went to racing pretty much all ovals. Um, what what did you enjoy racing more? Um, did you enjoy ovals more, or road courses more? I enjoyed I enjoyed road courses more. I enjoyed road courses more just because there were I loved the variety of challenges. Mm -hmm, sure. Um, and, uh, I liked 
I liked them both, uh, but I would say I like road racing more. Ovals were cool. You kind of just, just, um, it was just kind of hang on and go as fast as you can. And hope, and hopefully you got the car dialed in because it was like so much of the formula to have right. a good handling car in an oval. Otherwise, let me tell you, it's one of the most miserable things and scariest things to hang on to a car that wants to swap ends uh, when you're doing that. speeds. I mean, you know, I had a few of those days. Those days were terrible. Um, but, uh, but you know, and, and so I, I didn't like the fact that there was less driver on, on, on ovals. Now, we're talking pavement now. Pavement and dirt, uh, you know, two different things. Right. On, on dirt ovals absolutely but um but you're just relying on the car so much on ovals and now obviously you got to play a different role as a race car driver you got to kind of play more engineer you got to really find the right language to help the engineer uh, get there i mean the better you are as uh, to describe what you're encountering the better result you're going to get and you know like some of the best race car drivers like like ken miles comes to mind you know like the the in the engineer minded drivers uh donahue um hard to beat lauda i mean the the engineer minded drivers are are hard to beat and i think we even kind of saw that on um, this past week at indy with jr hildebrand obviously he very smart guy he went to school for um mechanical engineering right scott to i believe MIT. so i think he went to mit or he was going to mit um, and he was the best qualifying Foy car. So, Jared Hildebrand is a very smart guy. And I'm sure um, not a day goes by where he doesn't think about 2011. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What well, I mean, that was just one of the most incredible finishes oh. ever. And it was just a great – I was there I, – I went there that year. I went in 16, and I, like, I hadn't been, like, since, like, 2000. So, I haven't been much oh. years, but – 2011 was just a, just a really great weekend to be there, and everything just fell into place. It was a great weekend to be a veteran driver, and they just they took really good care of you, and it was really great to to um, to reminisce with uh, guys I used to race with, you know, legends like Dan Gurney I've never really even talked to before, or Janet Guthrie, um, you know, but even PJ Jones. I mean, it's like, hey, you know, I used, we used to race together, and it's like it was it was a nice chance to catch up, um, and and. Uh, and there was no grudges uh, after all those years. So, um, yeah, it was a cool year. So after IndyCar, um, did you start actively pursuing other roads of racing, or were you just kind of taking what was coming? What 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 did it look like for you after Indy? Yeah. Um, well, so so like after I didn't qualify at the '98 Phoenix uh, race, I would say that that racing was in play uh indy car racing for me was in play and and that was really the only thing i would, would want to do i didn't really have anything else i wanted to do um that was in play for probably um a year after the phoenix race uh probably through indy i want to say i got a call at um i think it was the 99 which year was it 98 or 99 and robbie gordon had like his own car he had like he had like one of his like he had like a home like a like like a car someone else made or he had like his or something. I don't, I don't remember. Or maybe it was a spare car, but I was offered a spare car. Um, and I'm just like, it was like too late. And, 
and I, I don't think that car was that fast uh, that month I, I, for maybe the practice speeds he had in it. And I just, so anyway, so, um, so it just kind of, it just kind of died naturally, like the, you know, wanting to pursue uh, any car racing. I started working in our family business, construction business, um, uh, uh, the year before in 98, cause I needed a job. Um, and, uh, so I just, it just kind of just faded away. My brother, um, probably the, the, like the door closed on the Groffs and IndyCar racing at the Indy 500 in 1999 when my, if you remember Robbie Buell, like razor thin, go look up the numbers. You won't believe how, how close it was that Buell bumped my, my brother out of 99, 500. And then that was Mojo was, I guess, kind of gone. And uh, we just moved on with our lives. And then, and then off-road came. And that's a whole nother segment. <laughs> but, and you alluded earlier, you know, how much you love the off-road. Is it the, uh, just the pure challenge of it? That's certainly uh, that's certainly one of the reasons, and it is a pure challenge. Just try to imagine driving off road from Indianapolis to I don't know DC. Is that about a thousand miles? Um, you know, I mean, like it's just, so try to get a car to finish thousand miles. Keep it on the road. <laughs> Keep your, you know, pay attention, drive at night, race on the highway. <laughs> yeah, you're race, sometimes you're racing on the highway. They have not closed the highway down to anybody, by the way. And you're passing a family doing, on their Sunday drive doing <laughs> 25. <laughs> it's, it's just, it's insane, but insane in the best way. Um, um, so, yeah, the challenge Logistics has lots lots of logistics. I just really dug the logistics um, and sorting out the game plan and chasing and where you're going to pit and how many trucks we send ahead and like always constantly being uh, in front of the race car and everything that goes behind doing that, which that's really cool. And, um, you know, yeah, just it, and. So look, the track, once again, the race course is it's lefts, it's rights, it's ups, it's downs, it's dirt, it's pavement, it's it's 125 miles an hour, it's 10 miles an hour going down this goat trail that's just wide enough for for your car. And and you know, uh, and keep it all together and have hopefully your teammates keep it all together. Two and uh, we did three, and I uh, I was part I was in two of those. Um, the the first one was just this is when you're gonna have to if you can ever get Jimmy Vassar on your show. This is when this, this you'll hear one of the funniest stories ever. Baja. But anyway, um, right before I had the first stint, I was running really well. I was about ready to hand it off to Jimmy, and I like the sun's just starting to set. We're in San Felipe. And like this, in the shadow was this hole about that deep. You know, like they're hard to see. You're constantly in the road right in front of you, like up, down, up. I mean, 
constantly reading the road. So I, I put the right front in this hole and it just tears the corner off it. <laughs> like I can see Jimmy down. I'm like, we're like that close. I mean, that close. He came up to find me after we, we broke. So yeah, so we had to like throw the car together and then we're about ready to send him. And we're like, where's the lights? This is where I wasn't involved in the logistics. Where's the lights of the car? Sunsetting, man. It's like six o'clock. It's Baja, Mexico in November. The sun's starting to set. And like, well, all we have is this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> like, we had like no hardly any lights for poor Jimmy Vassar. Send him off into the Baja midnight. Like, hardly any lights. I mean, only Jimmy Vassar was could have taken that car with no lights and get oh, man. It to the other side of the morning and hand it off to driver number three. Only Jimmy Vassar could do that, but um, but he's got a much funnier um, uh, account of things. But um, but yeah, and then you know, then my brother got the last leg, and we get to La Paz. I mean, shoot, we finished like like probably twenty hours behind uh, the leader, but we finished top ten. Um, the next year, <clears throat> we were running really strong. Um, that was the Dust of Glory um, year they filmed, 2003. I was running. Um, I was running second in class. I was running. I was running right behind the guy who eventually won in class, um, and then handed it off to my brother, and, and he got it stuck and just fried the clutch, and uh, that was it. And then he was supposed to hand it off to Jimmy Vassar, and he never made it. So. So, um, so I got these, uh, calls from the road, you know, Jimmy, after, you know, they're drinking cervezas down the road, they're done. And, you know, I'm getting these DUI calls from Jimmy Vassar, you know, hey, it's all part of the adventure, man. That's funny. Uh, and then, uh, the next year I wasn't part of it. My brother, I don't know. I don't think, I don't think he, finished. yeah, he didn't, didn't finish. So. Yeah. I know that desert calls you guys his names, man. Cause, uh. PJ still runs it uh, in UTVs. I think he just won whatever the big one they just had uh, in the UTV. And you know, Parnelli, I uh, talked to him, yeah. and he loved he loved that ball. I mean, he absolutely loved it. Loved it, loved it. Yeah, I gotta tell you, it's the closest thing to probably having um, uh, opiate withdrawal. <laughs> it, having to give up Baja racing. Cause it gets in your blood because it's just so much fun and it's because of also where it is not only is it really really beautiful and remote and you just see the most amazing oh, I bet. like some stuff from like dr seuss you know, like stuff you just couldn't imagine seeing um and uh and it's just it's it's completely free until it's not free anymore and you're in jail and you're you know um never but um, but yeah, but like more free than here, you know. Just any, it's like the wild west. Anything goes. And but I kind of made a mistake. I kind of, you know, like Parnelli Jones was kind of my uh, um, uh, lodestar uh, as far as making the decision to go from uh, open wheel from uh, indie cars to off road. You know, I looked to him, and you know, I made this uh, this this misjudgment that. He treated that type of racing like it was retirement because that's where he was in his career. So it was, you know, maybe not like so intense 
or or wild as as it, like what he left, you know. That was arguably the most dangerous motor racing. Oh, I bet. Like people on the side of the road, people in the road, people clear the road while, while you're flying these, you know, these jumps, which were pretty cool. Um, and uh, just you know, like. You know, people are around, and um, and you're racing on cliffs. You know, like three thousand feet down or something is, is you know, when you go off road. It's just anyway. Very, like, yeah. Have you seen that that video of Rossi when he did Baja and he barely missed that car? He ju- he didn't even know the car was there. You know what I'm talking about, Scott? Oh, I've seen it. It's, it's oh scary. man, it is crazy. Somebody's just driving along. Yeah, and he's and, going the other way, and he, he clears a jump, and it just barely clears this person's and, car. And Rossi didn't even know the car was there because they asked him after. He's like, "I didn't even know the car was there." Yeah, yeah, okay. I want to say I know something about that. Yeah, it was probably at the Ojos Negros. Uh, whoops. Um, yeah, I think I know about that. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's that's. And I always heard like stories about like locals would make like almost like booby traps yeah. or like. And did did you ever come across any of that? Like. I never did, so but the motorcycle riders—they're the poor guys. Oh, those guys are subjected. I mean, that's a whole other level of like. Oh man! But like, they're the first one down, first ones down the road, so they end up encountering them, and sometimes do pretty uh, significant consequence. Um, But by the time, so then like motorcycles go, and then we go, and. We were class one, so it was trophy trucks off first, and then class one. Um, so we pretty much they cleared the way. Uh, you could usually on a on a tighter circuit, you could beat a trophy truck, but trophy trucks usually win the four wheel class overall. Man, I know a couple of guys like Travis Pastrana, who's an absolute nut. I know he did the Baja on a motorcycle. And a and um, I don't know if he was a trophy truck, but he did it in a car too. I think that during the same race can you do that can you like do half the race on a motorcycle than the other half like in a car i think that's what he did he did like a it was kind of like he did a documentary kind of like dust to glory um it's called like baja diaries i think okay i'll have to look that up i i i probably that's probably it probably happened yeah i mean maybe they have some rules against it but i think they're you know off-road racing probably allow that wow that's I want to check that out because that was that's yeah great. that well Pastrana is just an absolute I mean that dude is crazy and he's uh, rally I tell you what I, there's not many people that could beat him in a rally car. I'm sorry, what, who was that again? Travis Pastrana. Okay, yeah, yeah, oh yeah. So he so he races rally overseas or here here, here Amer- so the it's called um, American Rally Association now I think because before. I forget what it's called before, but I think it's American Rally Association. I think they're sanctioned by USAC. I think so, too. Um, so he does that with, like, um, Ken Block, um, who obviously is a uh, – he's bigger, really, in the YouTube world with the Gymkhana and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, I've always said, like, I, I obviously I'll always be an IndyCar guy, but if I w- were to ever get into racing, like, if I – became rich i would definitely race because i've always kind of wanted to race um but obviously as you know it takes a lot of money i would probably do more like the off-road stuff because that you know that kind of interests 
I mean, like you say, you know, you see crazy things when you're when you're racing, and I mean, you probably well maybe at Indy in the Snake Pit you would see some crazy things too. But I know Parnelli really, Parnelli really loved the people, though. You know, right. uh, uh, he had a like this family, like he would take toys to their kids every year, and uh, they, they really like this one woman. You know, she kind of would take him in and feed him and yeah 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 oh yeah oh yeah I, I, he probably has more stories like that than oh. he is, you know uh, uh you know or um uh, god i can't think of his name but anyway yeah um he probably pardon me more than anybody just a legend down there and the people just take you in and take you on like you know like yeah, like you're you're a god. You are you're definitely a god, and uh, and you know Parnelli was already a god, so he was just that much bigger. But uh, yeah, and yeah, I bet he has just so many experiences, and he could just uh, you should just have a show with him talk. About uh, yeah, I would love to. You know, I you know he's got he's got the beginning of the Parkinson's and that, so uh, I don't know if if we could ever really pull that off, but, uh, uh, we had, I'm sorry, go ahead. You got PJ. Well, we got, yeah, got PJ. Uh, we had Jagger on, which is PJ's son. He was our first episode. And then, uh, at some point we'll have uh, PJ on. We're going to have Paige on at some point. And, uh, but I don't think, uh, the Parnelli thing will ever probably do, but, uh, cause that's, a, that's asking a lot of somebody, you yeah. know, but uh, I, I wish it was a few years ago because, uh, boy, and, yeah. the stories he I, I actually was able to go to dinner with him after the after the auction. And uh, he he didn't talk very much the first night, but the next night he was telling some stories at dinner and stuff. It, and it was it was pretty nice to hear him be able to share some of the stories and stuff like that. So right. And I, I, I'm looking forward to the day where you can have Jimmy Johnson and, Ro- and Robbie Gordon on your show. Oh, gosh. Man, uh, Robbie Gordon, I think, would be a three-parter, wouldn't it? <laughs> At minimum. I mean, that guy's something else. I got a Robbie Gordon story. Uh, so, uh, at Indy 97, um, I'm just coming out of the pits. Um, I don't know, it's probably a practice session. And, like, I'm probably at, like, in, one, in turn one. And he comes by, like, he's, he's on a hot lap. And he comes by... Like, I swear it was, like, that close. It was just like, yeah. <laughs> like, probably like that, man. I was like, whoa. Like, no one, I mean, like, I, it was noticeable. Right. <laughs> it was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah. Do something else. In the throat. But, uh, yeah, so that's fine. That's that. Yeah, um, I think Armin Stewart was even at that auction. Now I think about it. I think he was there getting some stuff and that, so... But uh, so, you know, so you did the Baja thing for a few years. Have, have, did you really race after that? Or have you really gotten back into anything? I saw you did you did do the uh, 24 hours, correct, Daytona? Mm-hmm. Um, what would what'd you drive? I drove a 911 Porsche in, like, the GTS 3 class, uh, the lower class. I am... Uh, 
yeah, but it was um, it, gave, it was the experience I was looking for, and it was quite an experience. And racing at night, and like it's amazing how hard people race at night. And like um, Doc Bundy, I remember dicing in with him for a while. And uh, yeah, like just race hard for 24 hours. It was it was it was something. It was uh, it was really cool. And in a Porsche, if you're only going to do it once. You might as well do it in the classic, right? Right. <laughs> exactly. I tried for a Ferrari a few years earlier, but it didn't work out. So on Racer to Racer, uh, actually, I, I'm going to add a question. Uh, we typically, as we as we wind these up, I'll ask a question of, um, I always la- like to ask the question of who that maybe we've not discussed, or it could be somebody we've discussed. It could be a family member. It could be anyone. Who would you point to in your career as uh, the person that maybe helped you that doesn't get the notoriety or the person that you looked up to? It could, you know, like I said, it could be a driver. It could be anybody. Um, Who would you put in that category? Who? Yeah, one more time. Just uh, okay. So, so what we like to do is we we. I, I like. This, I'm sorry. I want to get this right. Well, <laughs> I mean, it could. It really. It's a really open ended uh, question um, because I don't like to box people into where they have to say their family or or this person or that person. It, like, there's, uh, and we've had some really surprising answers to this question. Like, who would you point to as a person that really? Uh, really meant maybe the most or meant a lot to your career that, and it can be somebody that, that nobody knows about, you know, but it could be anybody, but it, it, like, who's that one person? Yeah. I keep coming back to the same person. Uh, so a gentleman named Ned Wicker, Ned uh, was racing um, publicist, had had IndyCar magazine um, back in the late 80s, early 90s, just always around, always, um, you know, doing writing for somebody. And um, like I said, had his own magazine eventually uh, from Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And, you know, he was just an advocate for me from this first moment I met him to the last day I saw him and all throughout my career just always advocating for me to to move up and move in and and uh, and do it in my own way so it I you know I just go back to him and uh, haven't haven't seen him in years and uh, but again think about him every once in a while and just get a little smile Oh, that's great. I, I really like to always give somebody a chance to uh, give an answer. Uh, and like I said, it could be anybody, but there are so many unsung people in this sport. And, you know, nobody's career is built by themselves. And I, I think it's always great to give give a person a chance to, to uh, spotlight someone. Right. Uh, so thank you so much for your answer on that. And, the other question, I'm going to start asking this question, too, because the way you kind of were talking earlier, what's your best racing story that you can publicly share? <laughs> best story. Had to take place on the racetrack? Had no. 
No, oh. it, it could be your best racing story. It, it just loves we story. Okay. Hey, yeah, I, I've heard some of Scott, I've heard some of Scott's, and he he cannot repeat them on a podcast. I can tell you that much. Right. Uh, yeah, I got to be really careful here. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to incriminate anyone. Um, geez. Okay, so uh, no names. Um, this comes to mind. Uh, I was racing Formula Fords, and um, I um, the I eventually finished second in this race. It was a big race. It was a national um, up in Seattle, and uh, uh, the winner of the race was a very good friend of mine. And I had heard that the you know well not heard. Uh, not only did I hear for the grapevine that he was, you know, that him and a couple other drivers who, uh, will be nameless, um, you know, uh, had a few beers, uh, the night before, uh, had some fun, had a lot of fun, had probably a lot of beers. And, uh, so when I saw my friend, uh, race day, he was not looking well. He was, uh, you can tell he was hungover as can be. Wearing, wearing sunglasses, drinking coffee, eating, eating salting crackers. Yeah, that, that, that was him. Um, so anyway, um, race starts. He's on the pole. I'm off, I'm off pole. He just takes off. Just leaves me. I mean, like, I finished distant second. I thought I would. I didn't think I'd do that poorly. I thought I'd at least feel like hey, won the most of the race. But no, man, he was just checked out. So we get the checkered flag. He comes straight in, in, into pit lane. Usually you get grab the flag or you do whatever, you do another lap. He comes straight into, in, into the paddock, out of the car, helmet off, vomit everywhere. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man. I, you know, maybe there's a better one, but I, I don't know. I thought that was pretty. Oh, that's crazy. We, we actually had a, we actually, when we did our Chili Bowl broadcast, uh, we had another buddy of mine on and, and uh, there's a whole, there's a whole segment of uh, vomit in the helmet stories, man. It is, that that's a, that's a brutal thing. I, I couldn't imagine going through that. That is a brutal thing. And I can tell you, I never happened to me, thank God. But when we raced in Baja, we were class one, we had a two seater we would put like con like BF Goodrich contest winners and uh, riders, off road, you know, like journalists. Put them in that 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 the, the co driver seat. Some would do okay. Most would do okay. Some would get pretty woozy. Couple just like they're it's in their helmet and they're trying to talk to me. <laughs> trying to talk to me on the intercom. I'm just like trying. I'm trying not to hurl like knowing <laughs> so yeah that, it, it, nothing worse nothing worse so well Aaron what do you got for us um so we usually ask I usually ask a question for anyone who raced Indy um what and this is a very open question what what did running Indy or what what does Indy like when you hear the name Indy like what does that mean to you it means the biggest race in the world, and it is. And he, and he, I don't think you. I don't think you. I don't think at least uh, I 
didn't. I didn't. I don't think like you know you like like you know it's a big deal. You just did it, but the reverberations of it you would think go away, but if, if anything, they, they get bigger as, as time goes right. on. A bigger thing, like like even uh, a buddy of mine, David Kudrave, he did some IndyCar, uh, he has some IndyCar starts, never did the 500. He still laments about like, you got to do the 500, <laughs> I didn't, you know? So, um, and just when people, you know, it, it just, it's uh, it means a lot. And uh, it means a lot to have done it at the time. It means a lot to have done done it now. And it seems to be uh, that that momentum doesn't seem to be going away. It's just yeah. I'm blessed to have been there. And I, I felt like it was the cherry on top of my career. And it literally pretty much was. And... Uh, it was, it was, it was, I was really grateful to have, after all this, all the races I got to do, I got to do that one. Right. And there, I mean, there's definitely, you know, millions of kids and, you know, people who dream of racing Indy and the number, I don't know the exact number, but I know it's around, I think 750, roughly the number of drivers who have raced Indy. Um, and that's ever. So obviously, you know, a lot of those guys aren't even alive. So um, that's a very, I mean, you're, talking really low number so no that's something um yeah that you definitely should be proud about um you know saying that you know you're part of kind of an elite elite field of people and to run to run inside the top 10 yeah first I mean, year it's not is it's it's uh i mean you're you're getting toward where the bigger checks are passed out at the end of the banquet you know yes i i wanted more it didn't work out that's the way the universe works. And, uh, you know, I ended up going, um, ended up being president of our family company and, and married with two beautiful girls. And that was, that was my destiny. And I've had, you know, I've had to come full circle to, to, to see all that. So you were talking a little bit about um, you were telling the story about almost ending up in Nigel Mansell's gearbox. Well, was there ever a moment, and this would probably be more for like cart, IndyCar, of someone like you raced against where you were, I guess, lack of a better term, almost like starstruck, like just like, wow, I'm actually racing against, you know, I'm sure like Mario would be one. I'm actually racing against Mario Andretti. Like, this is crazy. Mm, you know, I think because like you spend every weekend with them. Uh, with them you know you're in lights they're in any cars did you see them around once in a while you talk to them yeah there 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 was a little bit of, of, of the uh idol uh worshiping a little bit sure a little a little bit of uh, a little of intimidation but um just mainly someone else I needed to beat. And I got to, one thing I should, I want to amend to that is um, before when I got into Indy cars, you know, we were kind of the punks and in Indy lights. And, we're, you know, the attitude was kind of like, you know, those guys, those guys aren't racing hard enough. Let's get in there. Let's show them, you know, how to race hard. I bet these guys aren't, you know, leaving, they're leaving a lot on the table. Until I got there, let me tell you, those guys, okay, and I say those guys, 
few people come to mind. Mike Landretti, first lap of practice, <laughs> practice session, first session, first practice, coming into the final S's. I swear, he's like 10 tenths, like coming into these S's. I was just like, what? You know, like, and uh, guy, like, I know you're, uh, Aaron, I know you're a fan of Roberto Guerrero. Like, like Roberto race hard, man, in IRL, like, and Eddie Cheever, like, and like, these guys are racing hard all the time, man. And so it's good to know that you're not getting robbed. You're getting the best, you know, you're getting, uh, you're getting really hard race from the best in the business, mostly the best in the business, uh, all the, you know, when you want. Yeah, I agree. Uh, and that has to be, you know, I think it's like, kind of like you said, when you're around guys all the time, or you are a racer yourself, it, it's it's not quite the same thing. It, it's, I mean, you can be definitely start. I mean, you can admire what they do. I mean, how can anybody look at Rick Mears, who's another one come out of the desert, and not go, wow, this guy's amazing. Um, but yeah, it, it is, a, it's a funny thing where um, for you, you know, they're peers more than than not only competitors but peers, you know, in so many ways. Absolutely. But, uh, yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's funny. We've we've interviewed Shinkara, uh, uh, Marco Greco, um, and a few other. Yeah, the Marco Greco ones. Really yeah, good. he. Um, but we and they, you know. And they all talk about India. It's just, you know, um, and we interviewed Howdy Holmes. Um, and, you know, just, you know, and Indy meant a lot to him as well. I mean, it's just, and he's a guy, he has a kind of a similar story as you. You know, he he went in and took over the family business. He had a, he decided, you know, when his racing career was going to end, he put a time frame on it before he really kind of started running Indy cars. And, and, um, he went in and took over the family business and that sort of thing. But uh, he loves, you know, he still loves it the same way you love it. Yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the greatest things there is, and it gives us uh, something to get excited about and and feel good about and and just have your inner machismo. You know, massaged and jostled, and you know, um, it's just it just gets that that uh, that primal uh, uh, nature stirring in uh, the more refined uh, section uh, <laughs> of of those instincts. Yeah, yeah. Now, Marco, we... sorry, sorry, Scott. Go ahead. I was, I was just going to ask, where where are you going to watch the race from? Do you guys will you watch the race, or will you just watch it later? Or... Yeah, I'll uh, I'll watch. I'm, I'm at home. I'll be at home, and and um, you know I'll, I'll probably have my you know, my wife will join me for the most part. My girls um, not, not so interested. Um, you know they may hang around for you know the, the pregame ceremonies, um, but yeah, um, that's it. Uh, you know, uh, still keep keeping things kind of tight. Um, you know, with uh, you know pe people to gather with, but. Um, you, you know, we keep it pretty small usually anyway. I, like sometimes, you know, um, up until the last couple of years, I'd be at um, my parents' house uh, with them. And we, you know, it was kind of a little bit of tradition to 
go to their house and watch. And uh, once in a while, I joke around. I'll put my ring on and spread around the house. And <laughs> came for the day. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I didn't really realize. So they they give you a ring for is it for qualifying or for starting? It's qualifying ring. Yeah, for for, for starting because your speed's on it. Oh, cool. Yeah, we were talking about Marco Greco. I've I've been friends with Marco on Facebook for several years, so he was a no-brainer to interview. But I saw he posted a picture. I, I didn't really realize until he posted the picture. He, I think he was in four or five hundreds, and he had a picture of all four of his rings. Um, pretty cool. But no, it's funny because he hasn't been back to Indy since '99, um, and he's he's talking about maybe coming this year. He has to take his I think his son to school in California. Um, oh. So. I, think he he wants to come back and it's funny so him and so we also interviewed tiago Madeiras. um obviously they're both brazilian and one thing that they both have in common is they both haven't signed that car the and i think you you've signed it the stinger car the marmon wasp replica the yellow car yes and they but they they both have not signed it so they both are talking about they want to come back to indy so they can sign the car <laughs> But no, I was at the museum once with my dad a couple years ago, and I, I, we were looking at the car, and it had Marco's name on it, and the, the blank, it was blank because it, he hadn't signed it yet. And I took a picture of it, and I sent it to him, and he, he sent the picture back, and he like signed the screen. He's like, well, now it's signed. But no, that's, you know, that that car is pretty amazing. How many people? And I think you probably signed it when you came back for the hundredth, right? Yes, that sounds correct. Because I think they they actually like took it across country i think to get some guys that didn't come back um because i know there's some i, I want to say they got like danny and guys and people like that on it they may have got like brad murphy and i mean those guys haven't been back to indy f- for a very long time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i don't know what they're doing with the car i think they were talking about maybe charity or something but um no that's it's pretty cool though did they live in the house uh the museum yeah yeah it's in the museum Okay. Um, so are you guys going or you're watching, you're staying at home? No, I, I've been to the track every day. Every um, day. It's been open this month. So this is actually the first year of my job. I was able to take um, some PTO off basically every day. Um, so then obviously Friday's carb day. And then um, usually Saturday they have like the memorabilia show of the track they have the which you're familiar with obviously robbie the the big autograph session for legends day and they're not doing any of that this year um obviously because of covid so that that'll be in the driver's meeting i think all that's virtual so the track's not even open saturday but other than that like the track's been i mean it seems pretty pretty normal for the most part it seemed like a normal may only difference is you know it's 80 degrees and you have to wear a mask but (laughs) Uh, oh my gosh yeah that that can't be great uh, but you know uh, you're gonna do it my god right oh yeah it, it, it felt but, great to be back and you know it definitely feels kind of getting back to normal for sure yeah I, ever right yeah oh yeah i uh yeah so i i didn't get a chance to go to anything the last couple of weeks and i we did get tickets we didn't think we we're gonna get tickets but they they notify us we got tickets so uh, we got those, and uh, Friday I'm going to a, a midget race out at Raceway Park, and so I think Silver Crown cars may run the same night, and then uh, I got a spot for somebody at, at the Little 500 Sprint Car Race in Anderson, 
which I don't know if you know much about it. They start yes. the 33 cars, 11 rows right. on a quarter mile. Right. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. The Ander- it's the Anderson 500, right? Right. Little 500. Yeah. yeah. I didn't realize you spotted Scott. Yeah. I spot for Shane Hollingsworth. We ran second last year. Oh, no way. Very cool. Yeah. We led. Yeah. Um, Super V race at the night before the 500 a couple times. Uh, actually three times. Um, you know what? I the speed drum. The speed drum. I got, I got a story about the speed drum. I, when when we were racing back there, you know who was like really fast at the speed drum was John Andretti. John Andretti would just like figure it out somewhere. He just like run around the outside of just everybody all night long. Just I don't know. His car was hooked up perfectly for it. It was like crazy. And then one other story I got like similar to that because I'm. Just thinking about dirt cars. Saw Jeff Gordon race. And by the way, I, I know Jeff from Quarter Midgets. And uh, actually gave him a good piece of advice back in 1990. Saw me at Cleveland Airport. And he said, uh, this is another story. He says, at the Cleveland race, he says, you know what? I'm like trying to figure out which way I want to go. I'm not sure about, you know, Super V's next or, or, or going NASCAR. And I'm like, you know what, Jeff? No one's really watching here, man. You're better off going to NASCAR. That that's a fact that happened. But anyway, Jeff Gordon, 1988, Finley, Ohio, like just destroy a sprint car, just like destroyed everybody, man. Like it was just like the most dominating. I mean, I've seen a rollout races by that point too. Like one of the most dominating like uh, races I've ever seen a driver do on a on a dirt oval. It's just unbelievable. Did you guys ever run Belleville, Kansas? It was yeah. not USAC, so you know, a big, fast half, uh, you know, five eighths high bank, and heard about. Uh, it. I'm sorry. Heard about it, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, when he won Belleville, he was coming up to lap Steve Knipper, and Steve was running second. And I mean, that's how fast he was that night. Unbelievable. Wow. Yeah. Just. Yeah, um, he ended up being, you know, who, who, he, who he was, right? It just That's right. Dominated everything. And like Tony Stewart, of course, my God, um, just wanted everything and won it well. Just amazing, yeah. amazing drivers. Just in awe. So Jeff, you know, Jeff tried to, to uh, test a Super V out at uh, Raceway Park with Linda Conti and her husband. Right. Oh, Conti. Yeah, there's a video. There's a video on YouTube. And they had a, some sort of problem or something. Yeah, no, I re- yeah, and, I, and it was like about that time that I, I spoke to him about that, and um, because it, it was true, like I mean, you like you were there, you know, you were um, same paddock, same track, and you know, you just didn't feel like you're you're just trying to do the best you can, and and you're not getting any any feedback from the any car paddock basically, um, unless you just went like you know like eight races in a row or something or you know like um paul tracy or something like that you completely dominate and then you know they'll you you'll get you know one driver will get a you know the glass slipper <laughs> right yeah yeah jeff but, did that thing with tony stewart pretty recently i think tony gave him a tour of like his um shop with all of his old cars and jeff was saying that um if he would have kind of came along a couple of years longer, he probably, or later, he probably would have been um, racing in the IRL. Yeah. Oh, so sure. It would have been really interesting to see, you know, 
how his path would have would have changed. I mean, it may have been a totally different story. I mean, he could have won the 500 a couple times. That's just really crazy to think about. I, you know, that is really crazy to think about. And it's amazing how things just change uh, and go a different direction. And, uh, but yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't imagine how great he would have been in any car. It would have been a, a, something to behold, I'm sure. And now I guess Jimmy Johnson, um, no one probably would have ever dreamed that he would, you know, race IndyCar. And, you know, I, I really hope, and I I think, um, you know, he's kind of talking like he's going to do it. It'd be really interesting to see what would happen if, you know, he drives in the 500. I definitely think it would be less, and I'm sure you can kind of speak to this more, Robbie, but I think it'll be, I guess, easy. I don't know if easier is a word to use, but I think he'd be more successful on the oval than he would, obviously, in a road course. Yeah, I, I I would I would think so. Um, but man, he just seems to have had a career where he just dominated at, at everything. Oh man, yeah. Look, he's got the skills to be really good in an indie car. I don't think time is on his side, mm -hmm. and that's that's all that's working against him. I think he'd be really. He'd be really good um, if 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 he can defy his age. He was saying the big thing. I saw an interviewer. He he released a video like on his Instagram. He said the biggest thing for him is getting used to the brakes. The brakes are a totally different deal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you um, you know, I really all I ever did was a um, uh, a NASCAR driving school. Um, right. I, I don't really know the cars well, but they were they were. This was like mid nineties. They were. Um, little older cup cars and they were detuned, but they, uh, they had the same tires and we got to go pretty decent speed, but I can tell you they're, you know, they're under tired and under brake. And, and, uh, I just can't even imagine driving a, you know, a cup car around Sears point. I got oh, yeah. a lot of race circuits in my life. Sears points, the hardest race circuit I've ever been on and for hands down, I can't even imagine hauling a cup car around there. It just, it's like, you know, I mean, any car is one thing, but cup car, my God. I've heard, so I, I've talked to a couple of people, and I was talking to Spike. I had to go over to Spike's house last week to make sure his internet was squared away and his lighting situation and all of that. Uh, he's funny, but I, so like Bruno Junkera told us that he he thought the, the IMS is more, the oval is more, you kind of approach it more like a road course than an actual oval. And Spike actually, Scott, disagree with that and he was like no it i look at it as an oval more like an oval than an actual road course what what did you think like do you think it was did it remind you more of like a road course it did not it just was it was four different corners two you cared a heck of a lot about and they both played differently that's right. one and three one felt really hairy because with the grandstands and just oh yeah and three was just always a little easier if i when i could go flat i'd be hitting flat in that corner first two and four were never a challenge for me and they were just kind of a walk in the park um two and four and they played the same but one and three were that, that's where it was that's where it was at you know, I think uh, possibly the reason why they say that is because it is because um, you're more apexing the corner than you are on the bigger oval. So you're, you know, you got a line and you got to catch the, 
you know, where you catch the the turn in really makes a big difference in how you get out of the corner. I, I think that maybe that's where their their thinking comes in line. Yeah, I mean, that was the only, you know, D-Oval I, I ever did. Um, but, yeah, that would be definitely, that's what I would go with. Uh, yeah, I could see, um, you know, you got to definitely pick your lines. Um, probably a little more so than other places. But ovals compared to road courses weren't, like, didn't really, you, there's a little margin of error for your line, you know. Right. I road courses, you really got to be really spot on. I, you know, speeds, uh, the narrowness of the track, I guess those are the issues, but, uh, um, but yeah, uh, definitely an Indian and every little thing counts and in large amounts at Indy. Uh, if, I'm, you know, I'm sure you guys, you guys are nodding along. Yeah. It's. Yeah. I think, I think maybe okay. it just, like you could turn in a little early, you could turn in a little late and it changes how you get off the corner. Right. I mean, I got to tell you, if you're like on the edge and you're going 10 tenths, yeah, I mean, you're like, if you're hanging on, man. I'm like, yeah, it's going to, it's going to matter. Your, your line is going to matter more. I mean, but you've seen plenty of fast cars around there just stuck and just right. go where, you know, not really going where you think they need to go to go fast. And, and then sometimes, yeah, you know, <laughs> it just depends how stuck that car is, man. Yeah, it seemed like during qualifying this year, I was paying, and a lot of it, you know, has to do with all the technology we have now, but I was paying a lot more attention to, you know, the, the speeds going into the corners, coming out. Um, and f- fourth turn, it seemed like people were, weren't going as fast coming out of that turn. So, like, when RC was going, we knew, I mean, you could tell, before they even posted speed, whether speed was going to be. And then Dixon came along, and he was like, he pulled 240. And it was like, yep, here we go. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's a good indicator because essentially one is the start of the back straight and three is the start of, I mean, because you're just kind of, most part, you're just taking two and four. It's it's, like you're scrubbing speed off. Um, But yeah, so it's really critical to get them right. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things like I never really thought about, like, you know, each turn being different. Like, you know, if there's no grandstands in one turn or whatever. Like, yeah, that would change everything. And a lot of people probably wouldn't realize that. And I'm sure that would change a lot um, from the engineering standpoint as well. Yeah. And, you know, and back to the, the visual effects, the turn three just seemed open, just didn't seem as intimidating uh, compared to going into one. Um, but just like it. Let me tell you, I, we, I mentioned it earlier. That race, at least mine, it, it it made for like the best dicing, like just pure dicing with people, like sit, you know, like you know, not hairy dicing, but just like like right. back and forth, you know, working the draft, you know, you know, some were some were bastards to get by, some were good to race with. Um, uh, but yeah, just so much dicing, just pure dicing. It was, it was nothing I, I ever experienced like it. I used one of the reasons why I wanted to go back for sure. Did you have a spot picked out, uh, especially on the back straightaway, it seems like where you knew if you could get to the guy's left rear by this spot, I, I've got the corner unless he just really does something stupid about how far back had you figured that out? I mean, what was the latest you could get in the corner? 
Sorry, I'm going to disappoint you, Scott, man. I like that one so inside baseball. Like at, at this point, um, I man, I do not. Rem- I know exactly what you're talking about because you, you know, you can see it and you can feel it. You know, right. um, don't remember where our strengths were um, in that race, um, but we just had a really, uh, we had a strong, we had a solid race, and um, you know, uh, yeah. We we were we we were good at the end and uh, it was uh, we were running with some good people. Yeah, man, and you know that's when you get in that top ten too. That has to make you feel like when you realize it, you have to think to yourself, "Hey, man, I can still pick up some more spots here too." You know, this thing ain't over. You know, it it has to start really starting to feel good when you know you're running that where you're running at that point in the race. Yep. Yeah, uh, it was like it was definitely momentum to go forward. It it, it made the rest of the season possible. Uh, I knew it was a big deal when I looked up and I saw my brother was twelfth. So still have a better finish than him, <laughs> and he had five tries. And uh, and uh, you know we went to the next race and we were really strong at Texas. And I led for a while, and and then engine blew up. But that was like a race where I think we, you know, we could have been like top three, and um, ran strong the rest of the season. But you know, had had uh, a couple down races at um, Charlotte and and Las Vegas that year. Uh, and uh, by the way, you know, Dennis McCormick, I spoke to him a year ago, and before the COVID thing dropped. He was saying that they're making plans to put my car together for the uh, the Legends um, contingent. So maybe that'll be the, the next time I see you, gentlemen. Yeah. In, um, maybe the next year or two. We'll see. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. yeah um, me and Scott both live. Um, I I can actually see the the pagoda from my front porch, so I'm really close to the track. And Scott's not that far either. Sweet. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Speedway, you guys are basically you guys are in Speedway or or just West Indy. Speedway. I'm I'm, more, I'm four blocks. He's in Speedway. So. I, I'm I'm now on the opposite side. I'm more thirtieth Kessler type area, but okay, yeah, no, well, Been a lot of time in Indy. This is uh, it's nice to walk down memory lane. I I appreciate the opportunity to get to do that. Uh hey, thank you so much for uh, coming in. And hey, there is a question. Did your brother now the year Goodyear run second? Now, wasn't your brother in that car or something at one time? Yes, that um, this is actually a really good story, and I hope I don't screw it up. So, (laughs) (laughs) you know, it's 1992, it's a while now. So, um, okay, so Goodyear racing for Walker. Uh, you know, running strong, running well, and he's the only driver. But at this point, my brother has an alliance with uh, Derek Walker. Derek Walker is a very nice person, by the way, and just quite a gentleman and and just such a talented um, motorsport uh, man. But anyway, uh, they got into the month and it was after, cause you know, we had the four days, then two weekends. So I, I think it was on, it was, it was on, 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 on pole day. 
Um, Goodyear, like, blew an engine. He had to change his car. He had to, he had to get in his backup car. And he wanted to get in the show on, on the first day. So, so, I, so his primary car, he got out of. He got into the spare car. And he just threw it in the field. He didn't get it in really well. But he got it in. It was like, I mean, so uh, he's in first day. As, as you remember, that's how they used to do it. So um, so then um, I don't remember it was the next day or the next weekend. It was probably the next weekend. They um, Derek put my brother in the primary car because that car, it was faster. That car hadn't um, been put in the show yet. So what Derek was going to do was, okay, Mike, you're going to qualify Scott's primary car. And he qualifies it, gets in the field very comfortably, qualified pretty well. And then, um, and, but part of the deal was you get it in the show. And then after you get it in the show, Scott assumes the time you took and you assume the time that Scott took. Now, remember... Scott, Scott's like, like now Scott, like on Sunday, bubble day, Scott's on the bubble. <laughs> but now it's my brother. This is my brother on the bubble. So that was the time you assumed. I should know. I, I think it was Ted Pravis, our own Southern California friend. I think it was Ted bumped my brother out of the race. And um, it's quite a story. Yeah. I just remember... Uh... I remember he was involved in that. I didn't remember that all that about it, but uh, I remember thinking, "Man, that <laughs> you know that sucks." You know, I mean, and one, but yeah, he wouldn't have had the deal in that car anyway. I guess if it it all going right the first weekend, but exactly. uh, yeah, exactly. so I, you know, it's just it's just too bad. Yeah, I mean, yeah, my brother, uh, my brother had some moments of good things at the Speedway. He was like the fastest rookie for a while in '91. Um, he, he set that record. I don't know how long it held, but um, you know, almost made it '92, like we just discussed. '94, you know, he's with Ray Hall. You think he's gonna, you know, he's gonna make it. Uh, he's gonna have a good. Well, he made it, but he's gonna have a good race. And then him and Dominic Dobson collided. And in '95, he took over for Brian Hurd had a big accident. And mm -hmm. car, he took over for Chip Ganassi. He took over for Brian, and like was running fast, and then, like that, like the motor blew, like at the lap, like right before he, like, like he was, it was time to qualify. They couldn't get him back in, I, I something like that. So, um, and then uh, yeah, and then '96, he was Gordon's teammate with Derek Walker. Something blew up in the engine, and you know, he just had a he had a he had a jaded career at the speedway, for sure. Yeah, that place can be fickle. I mean, it, it can. Yeah. And there's some people that never have a, a real problem like that. And there's other people that just. Yeah, I mean, like, I only did one, but I just got in clean. I got out clean. It was unscathed, and I got a top 10 to show for it. And I feel like a pretty lucky guy. Once again, Robbie, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. You know, like I said, it's, ever since we started this, it, it, it's just kind of like taken off with being able to interview some really cool people and getting stories that, you know, you would never really expect. I bet I really commend the both of you. You're doing what you love and you're good at it. And this is, and you have a, a medium at your disposal in, in which to do so. 
and I will, I, and I subscribe, and I will uh, spread the word, and I will advertise it on my Facebook uh, feed, cool. and I it's just to, I thank you. It was a pleasure to be here, and I thank you both for allowing me to bring this out of the closet and dust it off and put it back. Thank in. you so yep. much, Rob. Thank you. We really Thanks, appreciate Robbie. it. We appreciate your time and, and best of luck to you and whatever you're doing and, and take care. Keep doing what you're doing, guys. You're doing a great job. Take care. Thanks, sir. Appreciate Thanks, it. Thanks, Robbie. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Take All care. Right. Bye.